Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Tom Nixon is with me. Hey, Tom. Hey, it's good to be back, Jay. Yeah, yeah. We've had a little bit uh, of a hiatus again, but I think we're going to be uh, back on track here with uh, more regular episodes featuring both of us. So I think that's a good thing. The good news is I can tell you're making progress on your book because these uh, episodes without me are interviews that you're doing for research for your book, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, the book is actually more or less done uh, in terms of drafting. I've I've gone through, I've got a, what I haven't done yet is printed out the whole thing and read it on, you know, paper, um, which is always a necessary step for me. You know, you inevitably catch things when it's printed off when that you don't, when you're reading on screen. So I've done a couple passes um, since I finished the first draft on the computer, got to do one more on paper. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's done. So I'm happy about that. Good. Well, entering the home stretch myself. So we are going to do a cover reveal next week. And oh, I'm good. Hoping, yeah. Right after Labor Day, it's going gonna, it's gonna to release to okay. the world. So I was going to say, uh, well, first of all, congrats. That's awesome. And I was going to say, maybe we can race to the finish, but you're going to beat me. So I've, <laughs> I have no cover designed yet. I got to get Heather moving. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's not thrilled uh, about the, I, I, or she might do the cover and, and be happy about that. But, uh, the layout of the interior, I think I'm going to have to maybe outsource that to someone who's not my spouse. Yeah. Well, and my spouse is my editor, so she keeps telling me what I'm doing wrong as per usual. So <laughs> used to it by now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Good. Well, cool. I'm glad. I, I'm looking forward to, to checking out your new book. Um, all right. So let's get started with our topic for today, which is just a, a few things I've been thinking about as it relates to various coaching calls and just um, conversations with lawyers in which you know, they've expressed kind of feeling stuck or feeling like um, they're procrastinating and and trying to just kind of drill down on why that might be the case. And there's a few things that I've noticed um, that I thought we could talk about today and just maybe you know, to the extent listeners are feeling something similar, uh, provide some suggestions for how to move forward, or at least um, share our own experiences struggling with these same things in order to to relate to that, those challenges, because I think they're pretty universal. Um, does that sound good, Tom? Yes. So we are calling this the five intrinsic obstacles to building a legal practice you may not be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I might have to... <laughs> And that title might go through a bit of an editing process uh, before we launch, but um, I think that captures the basic sentiment. Perhaps can do so with a few less words. Um, that was my <laughs> my last my last minute attempt to create some sort of title. Um, but right, in any event, workshop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so so let's dive in and just talk about some of these things. So this one is um, is is fairly obvious, but I think it's worth thinking through. And so. An obstacle to someone who might be setting out to, you know, engage in marketing or business development in an effort to build a legal practice, um, they just might not know how or or what they're doing. And I know that sounds obvious, but what I what I oftentimes see, and and frankly, you know, I'm probably guilty of 
in some cases, perpetuating this because we talk a lot about, and I write a lot about the importance of taking action, right? Action is something that is, is critical because the alternative is you can get caught in a cycle of learning um, and that can just be sort of a disguised form of, um, or, or not disguised form, but a form of procrastination where you just continually think to yourself, I need to know more, I need to learn more before I can take action. Um, but there is, you know, there, it's not always procrastination. Sometimes there are things you just need to learn and need to gain more confidence about in in order to allow you to take action in the first place. So, um, so it's not, you know, what, what what I sometimes see from people who are very action oriented is just they have this relentless drive to take action, but it's not bearing fruit. It's not, you know, resulting in things that, that they're hoping for. And, and that could be another um, you know, challenge or, or obstacle, which is that you're, you are taking action, but it's not, it's not benefiting you in the way that you were hoping for. So what I think is important here is striking the right balance. I mean, the right cadence to think about probably is you know, learn, then act, then learn, then act, and continue that cycle over and over as you continue to level up. Because you know, if you think about it, you kind of need to learn the basics of anything, whether that's you know how to create an effective thought leadership article or engage on LinkedIn or engage in conversations with prospective clients. All of that involves a learning curve. And you can't just stay in learning mode, but you can't just always jump right to action mode either. So if you can strike that balance between learning and action and, and get that cycle going, I think that's probably the optimal way uh, to move forward. And then, you know, the other thing to think about too, um, as I was as I was contemplating this idea was, uh, or is that, you know, in some cases, it's helpful to do something like work with a coach, right? That's another way to get uh, in the process of learning and acting. I mean, I think about the coaching process really is about, you know, identifying obstacles, um, you know, downloading information and, and, sh and sharing insights with your coach. Um, and then leaving a coaching session with some actionable takeaways that you're going to go put into practice and then discuss, you know, what worked, what didn't in your next session. So that that process can be helpful. Um, another one is to find a collaborator. So I thought about this time in, in, in the context of our own podcast, in fact, which I don't think this podcast would exist, uh, but for you. And what I mean by that is I don't think I would ever have launched a podcast on my own. Um, just because if I think back to when we first started discussing the concept of launching a podcast, um, leading up to that, I I had in the back of my mind a desire to have a podcast because I'm a big listener of podcasts. Um, I thought it was a good medium to add to my marketing stack, but I don't know, there was a big learning curve, at least as I perceived it. I was a bit overwhelmed by the idea of kind of figuring it out. But then, you know, you came along and I discussed it with you and you're like, hey, no problem. Yeah, putting, you know, launching a podcast is no big deal because you already had one. You had already gone through that process. So right. I found, and then, and it was pretty simple. Like we moved fast and it, we were, you know, we, we had this podcast out in the world pretty quickly after that process. So having a collaborator um, that you're doing some of this stuff with can be very helpful. And then also, and finally, um, having a deadline is also, of course, helpful in, in this respect. So you know, another personal example of that is um, I also 
for many years had a desire to write a book, but it wasn't until 2015 when I was writing at the time for Attorney at Work and they approached me about taking some of my columns for them and and expanding uh, those into a book form uh, that I agreed to that. And then they set a deadline for me and it forced me to um, learn how to write a book and actually do it. And so, you know, finding some way to implement a deadline can also help in this process as well. So those are some thoughts on that topic. Uh, what are your thoughts, Tom? I wanted to go back to what you said about act than learn, which I think is a great cadence. And I think it maybe gets you over the hump, a common hump I see, which is um, the tendency to think that the cadence should be act than reap. So in other words, I'm going to do something and then the rewards are going to be immediate and obvious. And a lot of times when you're building something big, like a practice, or you're building a campaign, the results are not obvious. They're not immediate. And sometimes they're not even direct. So for example, why do a podcast other than to have a little fun and to chat with friends? There was some goal that we had in mind, but we weren't, uh, we didn't launch this with the notion that, all right, we're going to um, launch a podcast. It's going to be instantly uh, a huge hit and we're going to be rolling a dollars, right? Cause that would have been the preferential path, certainly, but there's been all sorts of these other attendant benefits that came along the way where um, we had publishers wanting to syndicate our content. We had people coming our way and saying, hey, could you teach me how to launch a podcast? Can we hire you to do some of the things that you talk about? And to try to convince our former selves that that's what was going to happen probably would have been difficult for the naysayer who just wants to say action then reap. But if it's action then learn and figure out how you're going to reap later, I think that can maybe get you past that that motivational block because you're not doing it for the outcome necessarily. You're doing it for the activity, which should eventually lead to an outcome. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that completely. And I think that that's a that's an important principle to keep in mind which is that you know we're not always i mean we're poor judges i think of of outcomes in many cases i mean it's mm. it's impossible i mean think about it, any domain i mean economists have no idea what what you know even macroeconomists have no idea um what the economy is going to look like federal reserve you know talking about transitory inflation as a great recent example of that um and and yeah, you know, it's just the way the way things are. Um, and so, well, just real quick, Jay, yeah. economists will even dispute what's already happened, right? That's There's true. No clear consensus <laughs> of what's happened in the past, even though we all lived through it. But to, to your point, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, it's a it's a great point. And uh, I guess just the point being, yeah, just focus on that cycle of of continuing to learn and level up and and put those principles into practice. And you'll, I think that'll serve you well, not get too attached to any particular outcome because you don't really know good or bad what's going to happen in the future. So you might as well just get comfortable with the idea that um, you try to enjoy the process and, 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 you know, let go of those specific outcomes that you may desire, but um, you may be either undershooting or overshooting as a result. So um all right, so let's move to number two, which kind of relates to what you were just saying, which is um, you you may not you you just may not be motivated to do what you're trying to do at any moment in time, and 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 the problem here is that I think for a lot of high achievers and perfectionist type personalities is that you have this feeling deep down 
that you ought to be motivated to do it, right? And you start to feel bad about yourself as a result of it. You think, I, you know, I, I I keep reading that I should be doing X. I keep trying to do X. Um, I can't seem to stick with it. And um, I'm feeling bad about myself as a result of that. And, you know, the, the key thing to remember here is that, um, you know, there's not one single way to build a legal practice. There's so many different ways to go about it. We've talked about this before. Rainmakers come in all shapes and sizes. I mean, I can't tell you how different um, different the people are and the different approaches they've taken of all of the lawyers and other professionals who I've come across over the course of my career who have who have all built significant practices for themselves and just gone about it so many different ways. So um, in, in, in this case, you know, it's not about trying to find you know, the perfect productivity routine that's going to allow you to finally feel motivated and on top of this thing. It's about finding the thing that you're going to be intrinsically motivated to do. Um, you know, I, in, in my own experience, you know, I, I've gone through this. You know, I, um, I, you know, I, I fall victim to the same um, things that others do, which is, Okay, you know, I'll read something, a uh, piece of advice. It'll suggest that I need to do um, a certain thing in order to get more clients. And, and that might be, for example, you know, just spending more time on the phone, having sales conversations and like reaching out to more people um, directly. And I don't know, I, there's something about that that I do a little bit of that, but like I can't make that the core of my, um, you know, building my own consulting practice. It's just, it just doesn't work. I've never been able to stick with it. Um, what I've found over time, though, is that there are many marketing activities with, and mostly geared around creating content, whether it be podcast content, articles, books, social media content that I do enjoy, that I am motivated to do. And the proof's in the pudding because I do a lot of it. Um, and so I think that's the key thing to remember is, you know, this principle that we've talked about, which is find something that you have an aptitude for, find something that you enjoy doing and double down on that strength. And don't worry about all the other things you could be doing in the process. Yeah, I kind of stole our thunder a little bit from point number two, but um, that is the the main takeaway is that if you enjoy the activity, then the outcome at the end won't be nearly as, uh, it won't be your primary focus and it won't be so daunting. So I think about like working out for me, right? Mm -hmm. It's like going to the gym every day. It's not fun for me. Um, I would never look for, I could never stick to it. Even when I was in great shape and I was playing, you know, high school athletics, but the high school athletic was the thing that was super fun to me. So I played soccer and as a result, I loved it and I was in great shape. Similar to now, I can't run because I'm getting a certain age where certain bones hurt when I run, but I love walking my dogs and listening to music. So I'll do that at a heightened pace for an hour just because I like it. So I'm not trying to lose weight i'm not trying to get in shape but along the way those should be the outcomes if i stick to it and i i do stick to it yeah yeah great analogy there um all right so number three this is more one of those you know quote unquote good problems to have and it might be something that is experienced more by someone who has more traction like they're they're past they're over the hump they're probably taking action um they're building visibility and trust in the marketplace. And as a result, they're starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed by opportunity coming their way. So this might be someone who's getting invited to do a lot of speaking opportunities, publishing opportunities, you know, people are inviting them to come on their podcast. There's lots of um, networking opportunities they could be doing. Their network is growing and they feel like they should be um, being in, you know, getting in touch more with people in their network. 
Um, and they are feeling overwhelmed because they're trying to capitalize on so many of those opportunities. And at some point, everyone comes to realize that you just can't do it, especially when you know building a legal practice is just one small component of actually running a practice because you got to spend most of your time serving clients and working with colleagues and all of that. Um, so I think that, you know, the thing to think about here, um, and I, I, I saw this, this, this sort of metaphor that I liked um, in another context, but uh, it, it talked about, um, it talked about treating opportunities as a river um, and, and the river sort of flows by you, right? You can't, it'll never come back, right? You, those, those opportunities um, are going to, are going to come and, and they're going to go. And what the job is, is to sort of pluck a few um, choice opportunities, you know, from the river and, and be comfortable with the fact that those other ones aren't coming back. Um, you know, the alternative to this in the, in the metaphor is trying to uh, treat opportunities or catch opportunities with a bucket, right? Where you necessarily are trying to fill the bucket up and then you feel the need to empty it, right? Capitalizing on all the opportunities. And it's just not realistic and it, it becomes counterproductive. And because you start to feel overwhelmed because you're worried about, you know, FOMO and missing out on opportunity, um, you you can really stagnate and burn out in the process and and stop doing all of the things that led to your success in the first place. So, you know, just it's nothing more here than than more of a mindset, um, getting comfortable with the fact that you can't do everything and just really trying to prioritize a few things that you can do well, such that you can sustain the effort over time. Yep. What is it? Warren Buffett who said uh, successful people say no to almost everything? Yes. Him. Yeah. The ma that's right. Master of the pull quote. So, but, yep. um, and, and that's something that I think I first read about in essentialism, which is, mm -hmm. uh, the advice given is that when you start saying no to things, not only does it free up your time, uh, but it, and then it puts a premium on the things you say yes to, but it creates a scarcity that then rewards itself because people deem you as somebody who, uh, is scarce because they're frequently forced to say no. So it puts a premium on your time and perhaps even a monetary premium. If that's something that you want to do, instead of speaking for free, perhaps you ask for a speaker's fee. So, um, there's a lot of good reasons to say no, um, to almost everything. Yeah. And one more, uh, just quick anecdote from essentialism by Greg McCune. Uh, if anyone wants to read that book, it's a great book. Um, but he talks about, if you remember Tom, the paradox of success, and I'll try not to butcher it, but it's basically, um, you know, what leads to success is sort of um, ex extreme or or narrow focus, right? You you really focus in on your most important priorities, um, and that that when you do that, that leads to success. Now the paradox comes in where success breeds more opportunity, and the risk is that you start to disperse your focus when that opportunity arises, which is actually going to um, be the thing that prevents you from continuing to have success in the future. So you really do have to be careful of that trap um, as you gain more traction and visibility in the marketplace. So so I think it's just something important to keep in mind. Um, all right, so the fourth is setting your standards too high. And what I mean by this is, you know, again, this sort of perfectionist tendency to, to think, um, you know, I've, I'm going to set a, a schedule for myself and I'm going to stick to it, like come hell or high water. Um, and if I don't, 
you know, then I'm a failure. Um, and this this relates back, I think, uh, to kind of drill this point home. People, many people have heard about this, like Jerry Seinfeld um, productivity tip. James Clear writes about it in Atomic Habits. It involves a, an anecdote from when Jerry Seinfeld um, was discussing uh, how to be successful with a comedian, another comedian, up and coming comedian in a club. And uh, he talked about this notion of how he would hang a calendar on the wall and every day that he wrote jokes, because that that was his driver of success, he would put a big red X on the calendar, cross that day out, and that would be a visual rem reminder of his most important priority. Write jokes every day. If I do that long enough, if I maintain that process, like success will come. Um, but you know, I think sometimes people have a tendency to take that too far and beat themselves up too much uh, when, for example, they miss a day. Um, and that be, might be whether it relates to a workout routine or certainly, you know, the process of, of building a legal practice. It's just not realistic, even though, you know, I advocate and I wrote, wrote an entire book about selling yourself an hour every day to work on building a legal practice. Probably something, Tom, you were thinking about as I was beginning mm -hmm. this uh, this discussion on this topic. But but at the end of the day, and as I write about in the book, you know, I, I really uh, emphasized um, another James Clear principle, which is, you know, it's inevitable that you're going to miss here and there, but just try not to miss twice or make sure that you get back to the habit as quickly as possible. I mean, life and work get in the way. It's just an inevitability. And we've all experienced that. Um, and the key thing is just to keep that in mind such that you don't, you know, you don't fall completely off the wagon and never get back on it um, if you if you miss. Um, that's perfectly okay. The goal is to make progress over time, not to be perfect in, in adhering to some sort of arbitrary productivity system. So um, that's, I think that's just another principle to keep in mind that I think some high achievers get tripped up on over time. Yeah, there's an expression that musicians use that is there's no such thing as a wrong note. It's the note you play after the note that determines whether or not that note was wrong or right. Hmm. And so similar to what you're saying, you can miss, but if you make the missing a habit, then the note is wrong. You know, um, if you get back on the horse the next day and then, and you know, I don't think that you need to make up for the hour lost, just that you get back into the routine, right? So if you promised yourself an hour and you missed an hour on Tuesday, don't do two hours on Wednesday, just do an hour on Wednesday and you're back at it. Um, the other thing I've taken, I don't know that I'm going to recommend this, but I'll share it with people because I suffer from this affliction that you're describing is I'll have a to-do list or a, a, I, I have my three priorities for the day. And sometimes even those, when I look at those against my calendar, it feels daunting. So I've taken to upsetting low standards for myself. So instead of completing this article that I have due for a client this week, the words say, start such and such article. I don't have to finish. I just need to start it and inevitably because of who I am and my OCDs. I end up finishing the article, but I go to bed the night prior without the stress of knowing, oh, my God, if I don't finish that article tomorrow. I'm a failure. All I need to do is start it. That could mean open a new document. That could mean get the th first third done. That could mean get everything done. But the titles and headlines, it doesn't I'm not putting any high standard on myself and doing that. It, I, like I said, it lowers the anxiety, but it increases the productivity because I'm not so stressed at the outcome, I'm just like, all right, the, again, the activity is something that I'm committing to, not necessarily the outcome. Yeah, that that's actually related to something I wrote about on LinkedIn today, which is the the five minute rule, which many people have probably heard of. It's, it's a technique from cognitive behavioral therapy, but it basically is 
you know, if there's something that you you want to do, but there's you have some resistance towards, like just just commit to doing it for five minutes, and you're free to leave and and stop doing the activity after that five minutes. But in almost all cases, once people get into something, they they're able to stick with it. It's it's really the starting is the hard part. Um, and that also reminded me. There's I don't know if you've heard of um, Dan Harris, who he's I think he's an ABC News journalist, um, but he uh, he also is a big like meditation advocate. He's got a meditation podcast and a book and an app and all that. Um, and and you know a lot of people struggle with the same thing in meditation, right? They want to they they keep hearing they should be meditating, and and I think it's it's pretty universally understood to be a positive thing to do, and uh, but people struggle to do it. So he he tries to soften the oh you got to do it every day with um, do it daily ish. Uh, is the way he puts it. And I think that's a good way to think about it. Um, although I I can't even do that, right? I've I've had my bouts with attempting to meditate and and I've pretty much given up on it. But I like that I whether it's you know exercise or meditation or or building a legal practice, aim for daily-ish. I think that's a good benchmark for most people. Interesting side note or just interesting to me. Like I I can't commit to meditation either and I've tried, but what I've found for myself again lowering my own standards if i can find a meditative activity and i'll put meditative in quote going back to walking the dogs with headphones on where i get deeply immersed in the music i don't really think about anything and i'm just kind of present with the the animals Mm -hmm. that's like maybe that is meditation i don't know but it's meditative for me and it's mind clearing and i'm always super recharged when i get back to it so maybe that's a a life hack for those of us who uh, have trouble meditating daily ish yeah, right. I think I, same thing. Being in nature has that same um, effect, I think, in many ways, especially if you're doing something active, for sure. So, um, all right. So last obstacle here um, is it makes you feel bad. Um, and what I mean by this is that uh, people will it, people will stop doing something that makes them feel bad. And what by bad, I mean, um, you know, feel incompetent, feel um, uh, incapable, you know, just they, 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 the feeling itself is very uncomfortable. And the, the thing to keep in mind is that, you know, that's true of most things that are useful to do. I, I think you need to be wary of the thing that you feel like instantly motivated to dive into because that, that may be um, the, the wrong thing to do because most things that are, I think, truly beneficial involve, you know, a lot of discomfort at first, you know, there is a learning curve. If there's not a period, at least some period of, of, you know, relative discomfort, uh, as you kind of get up to speed and you learn a new skill and you engage in a new action, that might be a signal that it's, it's the wrong path, right? It might just be some, some sort of hack that was engineered to make you feel motivated to do it and buy a course or buy a book or whatever the case might be. Don't, don't always try to follow that path of least resistance. Now, some cases that might be the right path, but in many cases it's the wrong one. And you need to kind of lean into the thing that makes you feel uncomfortable. Um, there's a, there's a great quote from um, a, a, I believe he's a, therapist or a psychologist uh, by the name of Bruce Swift that I had in my notes. Um, and, and he wrote the actions that carry uh, the greatest potential for positive change are usually counterinstinctual. So, you know, I guess but what this basically means is that, you know, actions won't necessarily feel good. Oftentimes they feel fraught with risk. 
they carry with them the potential for failure. And in many ways, those are the things and the signals that you want to be leaning into to a greater extent. Yeah, so to play devil's advocate, um, there's a fine line between point one and point five, meaning I think we espouse the notion that if you're going to do something, choose something that you like to do, right? Because you'll do mm -hmm. more of it. And then this, now we're saying resist the temptation to just go after the thing that seems easy. So mm -hmm. how do you, how do you walk that line? Cause I mean, the more I think about it, the more I think it becomes obvious, you know, for example, going back to like a weight loss regimen, I like to eat lollipops. Therefore my regimen is going to be eating lollipops to lose weight. That just doesn't make sense. There's some form of exercise probably in diet that will make more sense. Now I need to find which form of exercise I'm going to be able to do every day. So is that yep. how you parse that? Yeah. I mean, I think in this case, you know, that this is where you have to do some experimentation to figure out like what's going to ultimately be enjoyable for you to do. Enjoyable doesn't mean easy, right? I mean, oftentimes it's not, and it involves a lot of hard work to get to the point where you're actually enjoying it. I mean, writing a book's a good example of that, right, Tom? Um, <laughs> I don't enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, but you do get satisfaction out of it, right? I mean, you feel good for having done it. And you have a good writing day that does, I think, I bet it does feel good, but oh, bad yeah, writing day feels pretty bad. But the same would go for, you know, you could probably relate to this, um, you know, learning to play the guitar. I mean, I know that's, that's just notoriously difficult, right? And you go through a period of Kind of develop calluses on your fingers and learn the chords and you know just kind of grind through it until you can finally you know put a song together um or you know a, a, another example would probably be something I'm, I'm i'm naming all these things that i've never done <laughs> um and but i i think they probably have some of these same principles like learning to do jujitsu for example or any martial art where gosh that's going to be that's going to be really painful and, and difficult to kind of get started with um but you're going to ultimately if if that's your thing like you'll only learn that through going through that that growing pain process um and and in some cases you, you'll realize okay even if you give it a fair chance like that okay this is just not for me so this is where i think the the process of experimentation and trying out different things becomes really important in order to find something that you're interested in doing and will do more effortlessly in the future. Yep. I can vouch for as somebody who has learned to play both bass guitar and real guitar. Yeah. You're exactly right. There's the pain, literally physically painful part at the beginning when you're developing calluses. And there's the emotionally painful part about I'm just so horrible, uh, you know, and I'm not seeing any progress going back to what I said at the beginning, which is why I wanted to come back to this full loop. Mm -hmm. It's like if I sat down one day and say, I'm going to become as good of a bass player as Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I would have given up after two weeks. But I just stayed at it for years and years and years. And at one point in my career, I was so obsessed with being the best bass player I ever could. I bought a flea instructional video. And after about six months, I was able to practically mimic everything he did in the video, hmm. which came to a shock to me and anyone who knows me. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> right. So, but that should have never been the objective. The objective should have been practice every day, get over your calluses. Eventually those calluses are going to be your friend. Um, so you need them to get to the next level. And then, had I measured my progress at any point along the way and compared it against where I thought I needed to go, it would have seemed like a failure, but only in, once you get for way further down the road, can you look back and say, am I making progress? Am I building a practice? Are we bigger than we were before? Do I have more clients? Do I have better clients? Um, am I able to charge more? 
you know, th- those, you can't measure that overnight. And I don't think you can even pick specific milestones, like sit down every quarter. And, and yes, you should probably look at those numbers, but I don't think that's how you determine success or failure. It's not a pass fail. It's, are you making progress? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully there's not too many internal conflicts between, you know, the, the five points that we've shared today and that it, it makes sense. And at least some, something resonates. If you are feeling stuck, you know, maybe you recognize some, um, some element of, of what we talked about today and in, in your own experience, and maybe can leverage some of the tips we shared in terms of moving past them. But uh, any final thoughts, Tom, on this topic, or is, is that the episode? Uh, well, I am going to say goodbye for now, but I am going to race you to the finish line on getting our books out into the world. So we'll see who wins. <laughs> All right. Well, that's one race. I, I think I'm I'm girding myself for losing, but uh, but that's okay. I'm, I'll be happy for the winner in either and case. Yours will probably be better though. Mine might be sooner, but <laughs> yours will be better. <laughs> we'll see. All, All right, right, Tom. Well, thanks. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.